I was just on with uh, with Jason G just a minute ago. Um, and, yeah, he's man, great guy. Um, but it just set the tone for for my day, and, and I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to you know really continue to to give platforms. Um, not necessarily. So one of the things that like you know I was talking to Coach G about when I when I put this together, it wasn't about a platform for the coaches to, to you know, express them, themselves or their journeys, but more so a platform for younger coaches to be able to learn from guys and understand you know, what it takes to get to that next level or the different pathways and pipelines for you know, maybe a guy that doesn't understand what it looks like or, or doesn't have hope because he doesn't see enough of us you know, in those roles. Um, so excited to be able to utilize your journey uh, to inspire and motivate some guys, you know, around the country that are looking to, to embark on this. No, I appreciate that. And, and I, I, you know, following Coach G, you know, I know he, he sets the precedence for, you know, for coaches like myself who, um, who counts on him as, as somebody who's mentored me before. And, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of great conversations about basketball, about life, and and I remember coming into this profession, you know, talking to him back in it was 2002, you know, when I first had an opportunity to meet him, and and he certainly certainly has helped me along my journey. So, um, and I and I know he's been in this for a long time. That's awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. You know, I think that um, that's one of the things that I want to see when when it's all said and done. When I walk away from from being involved um, in, in the basketball industry is I want to see it more commonplace. And I think that one of the things, it's happening a lot, but we're not talking about it, is the level of mentorship, the level of you know, support that it is within our community where there's guys that think that that's not there or they think that you know, it's not accessible or available. And, and the, the reality is it just isn't being talked about um, you know, on, a, on a grand scale. So you know, Coach G was telling me he's got a call on Thursdays that he's mentoring guys on um, on Thursday morning. So you know, just knowing that those resources and those things are available and there's people doing that, I mean, that, that makes me feel great um, you know, about the future of, of our place in the industry. Um, and, and the future of, of our place in roles like yours as a head coach. So, you know, that, that perspective, um, you know, Coach G was a, a head coach at the Division One, Division Two level. Um, so he's experienced that, and now you're, you're in a head coaching role. Um, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about that. But also one thing I want to talk to you about, and, um, you know, w- without obviously want to be careful about how we address it and how we touch on it with him being a recruit, um, but just watching your son go through a journey that, you know, typically you're the one on, on that end talking to other people's children, right? Um, and, and you having a, a situation where now coaches are sitting down with you in the room and, and talking to you about your son and a, just a different dynamic and how that, you know, how that, that you know, changes kind of your viewpoint and your narrative of how you recruit and how you talk to guys. So uh, I'm excited because I think that there's so many different directions we can go in and we're, we're going to keep it short and sweet, but... I'm excited to talk to you here today. No, I'm excited. Yeah. All right, so the place I want to start at is when did you know that you were called to coach? When did you know that this is something that you were passionate about and wanted to do long term? You know, I, I felt that way when I was in high school. And, you know, even though I, I knew that I wanted to coach at, at some point, uh, but it was just something that was probably inbred in me. Uh, I had some terrific coaches growing up from middle school, AAU, um, 
to junior high and high school and, and certainly into college. And, you know, it was, it was something that I knew, you know, I took a different pathway um, after I was, you know, done with, with playing college basketball. And, and then I ventured into professional basketball, went into, uh, you know, corporate America, then got into coaching. But, um, you know, I, I knew it all along. My, my wife knew it all along. And, and, uh, you know, my, my, my parents, my mom, especially, she, she knew it as well. But, you know, my, you know, one of the, the coaches that I obviously looked at when I was growing up is, is John Thompson. And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to play for Georgetown. I wanted to go there. Uh, when I got my first letter from Georgetown, I thought it was from Coach Thompson, but it was an admissions letter <laughs> instead of, instead of, uh, you know, an ac athletic letter. But, um, but that's, that's what I wanted to be. I, you know, we would do this thing at our school where I would have an opportunity to coach after, you know, my senior year eligibility was up at my high school and, and I, you know, was a coach of a student game and against teachers and all that stuff and had a towel across my shoulder and all that stuff. But I, I just knew it. Uh, been been a captain um, in, in all, on all the teams that I played for. Um, and it, it was just, to me, it was natural. And to me, it was just a, a love that I have for the game and had for the game at that point that, you know, I just I just knew it. And then, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, um, you know, I certainly jumped at it. You know, my my route, like I said, was different. Um, you know, I thought coming out of Northwestern, you know, just my mindset st you know, started to be a little bit different. But when I was done, when I knew I was done playing, the stereotypical mind of a Northwestern graduate, let's get into corporate America, let's go law school, whatever the profession is, and not think about the athletic side and, and what you can get into or coaching it or anything like that. So I, I felt I felt obligated to to do that. You know, I I had uh, you know started preparing for law school, and I just I at the time that I was preparing for it, I just said, you know, this isn't me. And then I got a you know got an opportunity in the CBA, so that kind of put that on hold anyway. Um, and then when I was done playing after about two years because of injuries, I uh, went in corporate America as a business analyst and and felt comfortable doing it. I liked it, didn't love it. Uh, then I went to go play for three years um, after that in Europe or two years, I'm sorry, in Europe. And uh, I knew then that once I went and played, I just told my wife and my mom that this was my transition into coaching. For once I'm done playing, I'm definitely getting into coaching. You know, my 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 mom would say that uh, I know you're not comfortable in that in that suit every single day. <laughs> so, you know, going going to work. So why don't you and and uh, have people appreciate that? So you you identified. I mean, you you had a um, amazing career at the college level. Um, you you were at a great academic institution. Um, that instilled in you, like you said, I mean, just a, you look at the, you look at the alumni base of a Northwestern, you look at, you know, the doors that can be opened from that type of uh, institution. Um, and, you know, you, you got your education and you, you started down that pathway of corporate America. As you made that shift into coaching, what would you say was the, um, the biggest transition piece 
for you going from, you know, most guys that go, you know, from playing, as soon as they finish, they might be a GA or they might, you know, for you, was it, was it relatively easy to, to, to shift gears there or what was the process like for you? You know, it was, I would say it was, it was pretty tough um, from the standpoint of when you're a player, you're a player. So a lot of times you don't think of the other side of it. You know, you appreciate your coaches. You, you know that they come to practice every day, seemingly prepared uh, for each day. You know that you're going into a game prepared to, you know, do the very best that you can and, and, and to give everything that you have to your players. But you didn't, you know, and I didn't anticipate or understand what fully and completely went behind and, and were behind the scenes um, uh, of coaching. And uh, while I, I knew I had a work ethic, um, it, it just made me have to take it to another level. And I had so much to learn. You know, I was green as a coach. I, I wasn't as a player, but I was green as a coach. I uh, need to learn needed to learn the recruiting game needed to to learn the you know the different nuances of of coaching and and what it all entails and uh rules and and all of that so it wasn't a seamless transition from the administrative standpoint um on the court it, it seemed it was it was relatively uh easy uh but also I had to get out of my mind that I was still a player because I I could still play right um, but, you know, I didn't want to, but I had to come off across differently um, than I did. Um, I, and, I, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, I wanted the players that, that I was able to coach to look at me as a coach and not as that guy that, that played at one point and, and could still beat them. <laughs> you know, you touched on, um, you know, the things that you needed to learn and the things that, you know, you, you had to pick up during that adjustment. What type of resources did you turn to? Uh, I know we talked a little bit about the, the mentorship of, of people like Coach G, um, but you know, as far as acquiring that knowledge and learning those things, was it a learn on the fly type situation or you know, were, was there a lot, of, a lot of places for you to turn to get that help? No, it, it was learning on the fly um, because I started out at Division II level, level at Lincoln University, HBCU, and, and uh, you know, it was just me and the head coach. So a lot of the things that that I had to do, maybe someone else didn't have to go through. You know, I had to be the janitor and sweep the floor. You know, I had to wash clothes after games and practices and, you know, then call and then, you know, you know, do all the recruiting stuff, go out to watch games and watch film of practice, watch film of our opponents. So there were so many different things that that I had to do that it was learning on the fly. I'm sure there were a ton of mistakes that were made. Uh, but it certainly helped me understand the work ethic that you have to have and the, the amount of hours that are required to, to try to be the very best you can. And I appreciate that. And I, I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't want it any other way, you know, because it certainly has served me uh, in, in my role now and as my role when I was an assistant coach, because there was nothing too small for me. Um, and, you know, they always talk about, and, and you probably understand this too, that the best CEOs at times worked in every facet of, of a company. And, you know, for me, if I'm thinking of the company that I work for now, you know, I've pretty much done everything, you know, from film work to recruiting to administrative stuff and, and, uh, certainly has served me well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, 
you know, I've had, um, I guess you, some would call it the blessing and the privilege, some people would call it the curse of um, being a part of a lot of startups, uh, being a part of a lot of, you know, situations where, you know, we were creating something from nothing and you have to wear many hats and you have to be comfortable, you know, with doing that, right? Like, uh, you know, my role at, when I, was, when I was at Spire, you know, went from whether it be recruiting to the administrative side. So there was times that, you know, I had to step in and be a house parent, right? There were times that, you know, I, you know, I, I would take kids, you know, if I got, take them on a visit, take them home because they didn't have a, you know, whatever the case may be. And I always say that, you know, and, and I, I had a path similar of when my playing days were done, going into corporate America and then transitioning back into the athletic business. And that, once again, I mean, I, it, it, the, the work ethic that you have to, you know, understanding in sales, or you, you're a business analyst, so you understand, you know, understanding what a sales process is and the steps that you have to take um, and, and how, you know, one little thing, one detail, you know, at, at the beginning stages can impact so greatly, you know, near the end. Okay, we didn't do this, and now so we're thrown off here. So, you know, I constantly bring those things back and, and, and utilize those things. Would you say your time and your time spent um, as a business analyst gave you a, a better, um, you know, viewpoint or, or a better perspective as you transitioned into going out and recruiting and going into, you know, the coaching side of things? Yeah, it, it certainly did. And, and I appreciate your, um, you know, what you went through as well and understand that. And, but it gave me an appreciation for that, uh, gave me a better understanding of, of how I can communicate. Uh, number one, um, as a business analyst, you know, I had to do a ton of presentations. I had to present numbers. I had to go out to clients and, and talk to them about margins and, and, you know, how they can improve their business and everything like that. So in that respect, it was, it was the same as going into a house with our head coach at the time and, and trying to convince parents, um, you know, why our certain school was, was better than others, you know, what, what we could provide for, you know, these young men that are coming into, uh, that would be coming into our program and, and, and how we would help them get their degrees. So it was a, it was a business call. It was a sales job that we had to do. Um, it was numbers that we had to present from graduation rates to, uh, you know, to the classes and, and all, all those things, you know, so it really served me well doing that. Um, you know, if you're talking about scouting reports and having to present that as well, you know, I had to be organized from watching film to taking it from the film, clipping it up, and then being prepared to present that in a timely fashion to to our young men that we're we're trying to help win on the court. And so I had to be organized with that. I had to be, you know, very understanding of, of what I'm talking about, first of all. Um, and then present it in a way that they understood it. And then I had to go out on the court and, and execute the same thing. You know, if we had, uh, if we're going over a scouting report on the floor, I had to, you know, I had to know my stuff. And you know, in corporate America or any place else, if you don't, if you don't know your stuff, people recognize that pretty quickly. And you know, so you you want to make sure that you're on top of your stuff. And and being a business analyst, and I also was a system marketing manager. All those things you know, really prepared me for, uh, you know, the job that I had to do in college athletics and in basketball. Awesome. Awesome. And now you're, you're in the role of, of head coach, um, where, you know, at the end of the day, win, lose, you know, 
everything falls on your shoulders. You know, you're, you're the top of the, of the pyramid there. Um, and, you know, when you have those experiences where you've been in those guys' shoes, uh, what have you done from a development standpoint to, you know, be able to, to better equip your, your staff with some of the things that you didn't have when you were an assistant coach? You know, I was I was pretty fortunate that every stop that I had been at that I, I had head coaches that gave me a lot of responsibilities um, to do so many different things, whether it was on the court or off the court recruiting. And, you know, so I, I, I treasure that. And when I came into the job here, I almost fell into the same trap of, of just wanting to do everything. And you talked about it, you know, being the top of the, the food chain or the pyramid and and, uh, you know, you want to make sure that everything is right. You know, that's, that's your baby. That's, you know, like you said, that's your, you own that, you know, so you want to make sure that, that there's nothing that goes wrong. And so the, the problem that maybe I did initially and, and, and even some others uh, would do is they try to do everything. Um, and while you're trying to do everything, you know, sometimes is to relinquish that that control that you want to have um so fortunately for me you know i had been in the game for about 18 years as a as a coach you know so for me i i learned over a period of time that, that then there's times to that you need to delegate right you know similar to you know what coaches did for me is they gave me that opportunity and they gave me certain roles and and they made sure that i did it right and um you know that's what i had to do when i got the job here in milwaukee and uh, you know, you're only as good as the people that you hire. And I feel like we have some, some really good coaches that, that make me look good, uh, that have been in the game for a long time. And, and, uh, you know, so that's been, that's been the greatest thing about this is, is that I can, you know, trust some of the, you know, the coaches that I have, uh, that are, that are working alongside of me to, you know, the things that I want to delegate or pass along to them, they take care of it. Um, and and we're working in sync that way. Well, I mean, you you touched on a couple key things that I think are important for for any coach uh, as they embark on this journey, or anybody even in the basketball uh, or athletic space. Is you know trust. You know, you have to trust the people around you um, and delegation. You know, and that was for me. Um, you know, the hardest thing to learn and to to uh, to be able to to give an assignment. And not micromanage. Let them do what you know what I asked them to do, or what you know needed to be done, and trust that they're going to get it done. And and um, I can't remember who t- who said it to me, but you know there was a coach that you know I, I was I was at a, a clinic, a coaching clinic, and the coach said you know it's like a SWAT team, right? And you know when they walk in that building, you know they they know hey this guy's going left, this guy's straightforward, this guy you know so everybody's going their own way, right? And if I'm in the middle and I'm looking over my shoulder, looking to see what the guy on my right is doing, you know, well, I could end up, you know, causing the whole unit to fail versus, you know, staying in my lane and staying focused on, you know, the task at hand and letting people do what their role requires. So, I mean, that's probably the hardest thing is to to trust and to relinquish kind of that control. Um, And I think that, you know, having that experience and having done all of the different roles and understanding that, okay, um, now you're able to pick great people for those roles because you know what they entail and you know that the skill set they need, um, the skill set they need in order to to accomplish that. As you navigated through 
you know, season was was ended abruptly this year. Uh, there's been so many, you know, so many uncontrolled variables. There's so many, um, you know, uncertainties. You know, how has it been navigating through, you know, a recruiting period or recruiting phase, um, preparing for a season that, you know, really you, you don't know what tomorrow looks like, let alone, you know, six months down the line? Yeah, that's, that's a, a great question. And I'm sure a lot of coaches, you know, going into this, they, they had no idea uh, the, the impact of the coronavirus and have, how this would impact recruiting, how it would impact um, your current guys and, and how you're dealing with them. And certainly how you're preparing for, how we're preparing for the season coming up because there's still so many unknowns. So when we first found out and, and you know, we had the stay at home orders and, and all of that, uh, the, the first people that I, were con that I was concerned about were our guys um, and, and how they were mentally, um, how this would impact them. And, and so, you know, we, we tried to put together a program and try to figure out what was the best way to, to keep them engaged and, and also keep them informed of, of all the things that, that's going on. Um, in addition to that, you know, the toughest part was just the academic side. As you know, many of our student athletes, I think they're good, but also they, they require the help that, that, you know, our student services can give them, our academic advisors can give them, you know, so from an academic standpoint, you know, we had guys on, on both spectrums where they were the really good students that, you know, can focus and, and they can stay on task. And then we have some guys that, that depend on, Hey, I, I need some help. I need tutors. I need different things like that. And, and that was our, our greatest challenge from an academic standpoint and, and making sure that, you know, that, uh, you know, we were taking care of our guys. And then when it came down to recruiting, you know, this, this video screen <laughs> with our computer and the phones, it, it just became so valuable uh, to the way that we recruited. So we had to, to, we had to make sure that, you know, whatever we wanted to show off campus was great. Um, you know, I also think that if you didn't have a relationship with kids going into this, uh, you, you might be in trouble. Um, so we were pretty lucky and fortunate that we had some kids signed in the, you know, in the fall period, in the November signing period. And then we only had to get, I think, three or four scholarships uh, this spring, but that was still a, a tough task. So we had to, you know, we had to, number one, continue with those relationships. We had to sell them on a campus, on a program that they hadn't probably seen before. We had to sell them on a staff um, that they haven't met completely. They didn't know our personalities. They didn't know how we were all together. And then the hard, the hardest part is they didn't get to meet the guys that they would potentially play with. So we, we really had to to be on our game from that standpoint. And and uh, you know we were able to get the kids. I think that we that we wanted to get and that could we feel can help us win in this league and in our program. Um, and then the, the greatest thing was how do we get them all together? Now we have 14 guys in our program. Uh, how do we get them all in together on the same page, understanding, you know, the direction that we want to go and doing it the right way? Um, and how can they be great teammates without having seen each other? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of challenges, but you know, a coach once told me great ones adjust. So 
um, you know, that's where having that strong staff comes in, having those experiences that you have. Uh, something that's, that's been on my mind, um, and I, I like the, your, your academic background. I like your, the diversity of um, you know, the things that you, you've accomplished and done, but with that comes along with the place of, you know, I went to University of Illinois, um, and I experienced on campus, you know, we had our black student union, which was very, um, you know, it, it was a very small piece of that campus, right? Because it's such a large um, school, such a, and, and you know, it, it was an amazing atmosphere. Um, you know, you had things that happened here and there, right? You know, as, as everybody has, but, um, you know, I grew up in, in a private school environment and, you know, learned the lessons that, you know, around the country, I think it's starting to become more vocalized that around the country fathers have been teaching their sons for decades, you know, you have to be twice as good to be even. You have to, you know, all the different things that take place and, and, and shape um, our existence within, within you know, society. Um, as a father of, of an up-and-coming young black man, you know, what have those conversations been like as somebody that, you know, excelled at a high academic institution, as somebody that, you know, has, has I, it, I don't think you'll find anybody, you know, I'm, I'm 35, I don't think you'll find anybody 35 and over that hasn't experienced at some point in their life some level of racism um, and, and had to overcome that um, and, and learn how to operate and move throughout that. As a father, what are those conversations like, you know, with your son as he's becoming a man and you're talking to him about, you know, when he's driving or when he's, you know, out in society? What, what has the tone of that been? You know, it's it's been it's been one of of a great opportunity um, and an education for me again because I, I received it from my dad. You know, my dad had a third grade education coming from Mississippi. Had to move up in 1955 from Natchez, Mississippi, to you know get up to Kansas City and and uh, you know move his family up there. You know, so I had a, a ton of those conversations with. You know, with my dad, and he certainly taught me, you know, how to navigate, you know, through, through our world that that we live in and and exist in. And you know, going into school, you you know, Northwestern is predominantly, you know, white, and you know, we had our on campus, you know, you know, we called it the Black House at at Northwestern, and it was a small faction of of students that you know would go there and commiserate and talk about different things going on whether it's in the school or the world and and racism certainly came up so now you know here we are right now and and it's certainly you know for me obviously you know my wife is white and and uh you know so certainly there's a lot of things that you know my son needs to understand and you know we've had those conversations in drives we you know because we're we're going to gyms now that they're starting to open up we've had it when you know when you know, all this stuff going on with George Floyd and, and Brianna and, and uh, you know, all those unfortunate souls that were lost. And, you know, I told him he conversation with him was when you are, are driving, you have to be you have to be aware, you have to be alert. And, you know, if there's ever a situation that you're pulled over, uh, you make sure that, you know, you're first of all, you're doing you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and that's abiding by the driving laws first. So you can understand that. After that, you know, if there's a situation where officers are in front of you and they're asking you questions, 
the, the, the worst thing that you can do is not be honest. And so we talk about, you know, being trustworthy and honorable and, and all those things. And I think that's the, you know, one of the, the greatest lessons that, that we can give, you know, and, and I can give my son. Um, but then I also talked about, um, you know, just af- outside of that um, is living the life that, that you want to live, um, respecting and understanding. You know, and I always say to him that, that you have the best of both worlds because you can understand you know both sides, and and I we give a I, I think we give great lessons to to all of our kids. But you know he's very, um, and, and I'll give this to him. He's very worldly. Um, he looks at at both sides of the pictures, and when he when he quizzes me and he talks to me about certain things going on in this world, I step back and I say, wow, you know, because of the things that. Uh, whether he's learning on his own or learning through books or whatever it is, I mean, he, he's picking it up and he's not blind to the stuff that's going on. Uh, and and I, I think that's truly remarkable you know, regarding a 17-year-old kid that, uh, you know, through life lessons that we've provided him, he's been around so many different, uh, you know, different people in his life, uh, from my family to my wife's family to friends and of different races and backgrounds that that there's nothing that he will not be prepared for um and but certainly there's still so many things that he can he can grow and get better at but um you know i feel fully comfortable that if if he had to be in the mix of a hundred thousand black people he would be fine if he had to be in a mix of 50,000 blacks 50,000 whites he would be fine because he just understands um, he he just has this this sociological view. It's not theoretical. He doesn't take stuff from the book and just regurgitates. I mean, he's thoroughly thinking about stuff that's going on in his world. And you know, I I would be proud to to set him off anywhere, you know, to to talk on behalf of our family or or anybody because you know I just think he has a, a great foundation and great base. Um, and and. He's just been been tremendous, and my my oldest daughter has been the same way. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I listen to you talk about um, your your children. Obviously, there's a, a a beam of pride, you know, coming from you uh, there. But at the same token, it, it, you could tell that education is the foundation and the backbone of you know your family, and that you you've empowered them to you know research and and, and educate themselves. And to have those those conversations and those tough conversations, and um, I think that that, to me, more important than anything else, as we navigate through this, is, is education, is um, is understanding and learning, you know, history and learning the past. Uh, that's the only way to avoid repeating it, right? So um, it, it's awesome to hear that. It's awesome to hear. I mean, we all have seen him, the player, right? I mean, I don't think anybody in the basketball business hasn't scouted him or hasn't you know, analyzed his game. Um, but hearing that dynamic of him, uh, that's impressive and that's something that stands out quite a bit. Uh, when, when you guys have the conversation about what that next level looks like for him, do you feel like, you know, it's, it's difficult for you because not only are you dad, but you're also, you know, the head coach of a university? <laughs> uh, or is it kind of like, are you guys able to separate that a little bit? You know, I, I think um, we've been fortunate that, uh, you know, my wife had played, so she understands 
the dynamics of of athlete and student and and family and and all those dynamics and you know we've been able to to separate it all you know pretty well although it, it's definitely entrenched in our lives you know, we we absolutely love this game we love sports and you know we can talk it from the time that you know we wake up until the time that we go to sleep because we love it that much um but you know it's something that um you know when I've, and and I wouldn't just say it's me, but we've given him a perspective of this is any any time that you have an opportunity to to be recruited or be in the situation that you're in, you know, first of all, be humble about it um, because it, it can be quickly taken away from you uh, for whatever reason. But be humble about it. Uh, respect the people that you know in this situation that are recruiting you respect the people that are interviewing you respect you know in, in so many different ways just have a respect for this process and, and don't abuse it uh the other side of that too is when we get into conversation about it he's very mature about it um and you know we we talk about you know a lot of times about what's most important for him not most important for me or for his mom or for his sisters and uh, you know, I think that's the that's the best thing that we could have done for him is if we made it about me and what I would want him to do, um, then he would be completely unhappy in this entire process. You know, we recognize that this is a, a thing that happens only one time. And and, uh, you know, we, we want him comfortable in, in a decision that he has to make or or who he has to talk with. And and, uh, you know, we try not to speak for him uh, because he has his own mind, uh, but also he's developed an understanding of, of what's important to him. And he can communicate that to whether it's me or, or any other program that's, you know, that he's talking to. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly appreciate that, but it's, uh, I, I love talking to him about it because, you know, he, he is mature and he's shown that, um, and he has a, a different perspective on, on things as well. You know, he, he's kind of like me that, you know, although he he was a better he's a better player than I ever was. You know, he still has a chip on his shoulder, and uh, you know, so it, it's great to talk with him when he's talking about wanting to be the best or anything like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and that that dynamic and being able to, I mean, you're you're in a, a much different position than I'd say probably ninety nine percent of parents um, navigating through the recruiting process because you intimately know it. Um, you're, you're an expert of the recruiting process, but um, also you've been through it and you do it on a daily basis. So you know, you're able to counsel and give him that support and give him that, that direction and guidance, um, which I think is, is key. I think that's one thing that a lot of our young men are missing is that sound counsel, right? You have a lot of situations where they're, um, they're led based off of, like you said, not necessarily what's in their best interest, uh, but what's best for some people around them. So, you know, that, that's amazing to hear. Um, you know, I, I told you we were gonna keep it around 30 minutes, so I don't wanna keep you too much longer. I've got two questions for you. Um, question number one, Patrick Baldwin, as a, a husband, a father, a head coach, when, when this is all said and done, what do you want your legacy uh, to, to look like? And how do you want people to, to think about you and what you've brought, not only to the game of basketball, um, but to you know, the, the, the people around you, to the people that 
maybe didn't have an opportunity to get to know you, but they've heard of you. You know, what do you want that legacy to look like? Yeah, you know, as, as all of those things, um, you know, the one thing that I would hope that people uh, would, would look at me as is, is a person that, that made an impact on the lives of so many. And, and I'd rather it be as the, the father, the husband, um, and as the person and as the coach. The coach is a label to me. Um, and, and certainly I, I truly appreciate the opportunity to, to be a coach, to be a head coach, and to, to be able to impact so many, <clears throat> so many young men um, you know, that I've been, that I've come across and, and had a chance to coach, but, you know, the greatest thing for me, and, and we talk about this, sometimes it becomes cliche, but I, I want my legacy to be when the, the, the kids that I've coached or the people that I've been around and however long that I'm coaching that 20 or 30 years from now that I was able to make an impact beyond just if that ball went into the basket or how well they defended or how many wins. And obviously we, we know that at some point, um, you know, and hopefully you can win forever, but if you don't, you, you move on and somebody else takes your place. Um, so I'd rather be known as somebody that, that truly cared about, um, you know, the, the student athletes and the players that I coached and that 20 or 30 years from now that they're giving, bringing me pictures of and sending me pictures of, uh, their kids or, you know, the fact that they got married or, or something like that. Hopefully they, uh, you know, we and I were able to make an impact on, on our players that way and, and the people that we come across. And, and I just, it was funny, uh, starting out at, at Lincoln University in 2002, um, 2001 rather, I just, you know, there's a, Taryn Tease is a, is a guy that, uh, you know, just sent me a, a message on LinkedIn and, and, uh, you know, I got it. And then he sent me some pictures from pictures that we took from 2001. Um, and that's what I mean. So, it, you know, if he's taking his time out to research and man, here's Coach Baldwin, here's a picture. This is what I remember of you. And it had nothing to do with, there was not, it wasn't a, a picture of basketball. It wasn't a picture of me teaching him or anything like that and or him playing the game. It was just a picture just of, me and some other guys with him on his team that uh, on that team that, uh, you know, that he just thought, Hey, you know, I had it and I thought about you. And that's what I, that's what I hope for. That's what I want my legacy to be. Uh, you know, as a, as a husband, just someone devoted to, you know, my wife and, and, you know, giving her all the things that she needs as a father, you know, trying to be that, that father figure uh, and, and pillar of strength for them when they go out into this world to, to be able to think on their own, but also understand that the foundation that that uh, we were able to give them, um, and then obviously as a coach, just you know making an impact on our young men's lives that you know they can go out into this world and and uh, you know be that that same source of strength for whomever they come in contact with. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's a, a strong legacy right there, and I think that you know it, as you continue uh, with the intentional. You know things that you've done and continue to do. That's the legacy that no doubt will will be spoken about for you. And uh, final question: um, Let's let's rewind back to 2001. Um, assume that you're looking at yourself. You know, as you step into that role, first role, 2001. You know, what's that one piece of advice? You know, 19 years of experience and, and knowledge now that you have. What's one thing that you would tell you know Coach Baldwin in, in 2001 to prepare him for this journey that that he's about to embark on? 
Well, the first thing I would say is just stay in shape because, <laughs> uh, you know, run every day and work out just so you can, you, you know, because you can uh, you can lose that pretty quickly. But, um, you know, I, similar to, to what I tell my son, but if I'm telling myself in in 2001, you know, stay humble in this process, uh, learn as much as you possibly can and and be as egoless as you can as you as you start out and as you go through. Um, and then be good to people, um, because if you're if you're a jerk, people will recognize that. They'll see that, and not want to be around you. Uh, if you have too much of an ego, uh, you you act like you know so much or more than anybody else. Um, then this this game will certainly humble you, um, and and people will humble you as well. Um, and you know, so that's what I would say to to myself is just be humble and uh, have no ego as you as you go through this journey. Awesome. I appreciate you so much. And I, I know that, you know, this is going to impact and help if it reaches one person that has dreams of, of being a head coach one day and they're able to learn from your story and, and take something away from it. For me, that's a win. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you guys have, you know, a lot going on. Kids are getting back to campus. You're getting prepared. You've got a lot to, to do. Uh, so once again, I mean, I, I value your time. I value your presence. I appreciate you taking the moment to talk to me today. I appreciate you, and, and I'll, I'll do this anytime for you, so I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Justin.